Expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the feast that feeds you starves our father's children. When snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up, no matter if the prize is high in the skies. Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century slavery, hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas with New Abolitionist and Actionist Johanna Elia and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is October 5th. 2016. We'll be going over the history and applications of the exploited 13th Amendment in anticipation and preparation for the release of the groundbreaking and highly anticipated films 13th and Birth of a Nation this Friday. A writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Jerome Morgan on January 17, 2014. He walked out of prison after spending 20 years incarcerated for a crime he did not commit. Our abolitionist in profile will be provided by Scotty Reed. Expect all of that and more tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. If you'd like to share a comment or question, call in and join us at one six four one seven one five three six six zero. The access code is five four nine zero three two pound. If you're already on the conference line, all you have to do is press star six and one to queue up from the conference line. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, brother Scotty? So you're uh, I don't see Johanna on the board yet, but I'm here. Um, I'm I'm doing okay, man. Right. Just uh, trying to hold it down. How you been affected by that hurricane? Uh, is it coming your way as well? Um, no. <laughs> now, hey, I haven't been. Yeah. I, I've been tied to this computer in the studio <laughs> all day uh, working, so I haven't even been watching television or anything to hear about a hurricane coming this way. Why is one post coming this way? Well, it's hitting South Carolina from what they're telling me. We already have declared a state of emergency. They're shutting down all the uh, public offices and uh, uh, government buildings and such. People are getting off work. Just went to pick up my daughter from work. And uh, all along the way, like every two blocks, there's squads of police cars parked right there and posted up. They've already called out 1,800 National Guard here for South Carolina. 
a year ago today, we lost our home in the other flood that happened, supposedly once every thousand years. Well, here we are a year later, we're looking at another thousand-year flood. Yeah, I haven't heard anything uh, about North Carolina. It's not even a, a good breeze outside. So, um, you know, I'm in the oh. western part of North Carolina. I, I, I don't know where this hurricane is supposed to hit. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to worry about it, though, man. Just well, they evacuated South Carolina's coastline up here. Uh, from what I understand, mandatory evacuation for people along the coast. Yeah, I don't live in a flood zone or a flood area. The only thing we got to watch out for is trees around here. Man, I'm hoping that uh, we don't get hit too hard with it. Like I said, it was just a year ago we lost everything in the same circumstances. But here we are tonight, a new abolitionist radio, and it's bearing down on us. But uh, I'm, I'm excited, Scotty. I'm very excited, and I just feel such a sense of, of accomplishment and pride knowing that the 13th is due out in less than 48 hours. Um, we're setting up different communities who are getting together to view it uh, collectively uh, so, you know, we can see for ourselves what is here. I haven't seen the whole film, but just the clip alone has got me excited because it seems like they're focusing on exactly what we've been preaching as gospel here on New Abolitionist Radio for the past four years. Well, like you said, though, it seems like and so I've said the same thing based off the clips it does appear that she ha will have the same message that we have had for uh, going on four years so you know that's the fact that slavery was never abolished it was just moved to the prisons and so um, I I'm hoping that that will be the uh, plot uh, well I don't know if documentaries have plots but I hope that that will be the subject matter of you know this film and so again if you don't have a Netflix account um, it's not that expensive but right now you can get an account free for 30 days so you watch the film and then cancel it right right and if you can't don't want to do that just get together with someone who does it's best to watch it as a group so you can talk about it afterwards I mean this is so important and it's been the core issue of what we've been dealing with now for 150 years. Scotty calls it the greatest deception ever uh, perpetuated on American citizens in the history of this nation. And I, I can't disagree with him on that. It very likely is the greatest deception we've ever faced. To be told that slavery ended when it in fact did not, not in uh, formally uh, through legislation, nor in practice. Not for a moment, a day, a, a minute, a second at all. Right. So um, I do want to uh, welcome in those who are listening on our YouTube channel for Black Talk Radio. This is the uh, first time that we're broadcasting live on YouTube with New Abolitionist Radio. It's something that I started uh, with the programs that I engineer earlier this week, just trying to uh, reach more people, reach as many people as possible the best we can with the information that they so desperately need, and many of them don't even know they need it. But uh, do want to welcome in the YouTube listeners. If you have any questions or comments, uh, you can send those in via the YouTube chat as well. Word, that's a uh, more groundbreaking and momentum that uh, momentum that we're achieving here with the Black Talk Radio Network. Yes, there it goes, Scotty. Just trying to reach more in people. In conversation with our forums. 
I'm sorry I didn't hear you. I said in combination with the new uh, social network that you set up. Oh, yeah, btrcommunity.com, yeah. Yeah, and um, so how are you liking it, Max, thus far, BTR community? Um, so far, it's it's it's, it's I'm, I'm I'm enjoying my experience there. There's quite a few, uh, quite a bit of room for improvement and uh, linking, I guess. Like it's kind of difficult to share from there to other networks. Uh, you have to copy and paste, and if you're not a well, member, that's kind of that's kind of on purpose. That yeah, that's kind of pur- on purpose. Um, you know, you can share the videos. Those have the share tools, but that's kind of on purpose because in order for me to do that, I would have to open up a back door to our platform for Facebook, and I'm not gonna do that. Right, right. I, I hear that. I hear that. Well, uh, we do I have Johanna joining us. And to populate this social network to the point where we won't need to uh, uh, reach out to any other social networks. Yeah, so, you know, that wasn't my main concern on being able to uh, share to other networks because, again, this is a community that was created with with uh, the privacy of the user first and foremost in mind and its security. So I don't want to uh, uh, open up any back doors uh, to these other networks to where they can exploit that and possibly be doing some nefarious things. So I want to keep it closed off to those networks. So the video section, it, it does have the share tools and it didn't require me to, you know, establish a backdoor connection to Facebook or Twitter or the other uh, groups. So that that's good enough for me. But we do have Johanna. Uh, what's going on, Johanna? What's up, brother? What's going on? Oh man, good to be with y'all. Sorry, I'm running just a little bit late, but I was able to hear most of uh, Max's intro and the dialogue I've been having so far. So good to be here with y'all. You know, Scotty, I remember like a year ago, man, um, when I asked you to please develop some kind of a YouTube version or video posting site for uh, people of color, for Black people in America, because of what I was seeing on those sites. Like, it really disgusts me to no end. When I see these snuff films of my brothers and sisters being brutalized and murdered and killed, but before you watch it, you got to get a message from Geico, or you got to hear about Subway's new sandwiches, or all kinds of different leeches just sucking out our life and exploiting our deaths. It just just totally disgusted me. And I I remember asking you, could you please put something together for us? We don't have to do this. And we're going to put something like that on it. Let it be something relevant that makes a damn difference in our lives and helps us, not just some vampire sucking off anything that's popular. Right, right. As you know, uh, btrcommunity.com is not... Uh, monetized in that way you don't see any ads or anything and and we can do that because we are trying to raise the funds not only to improve the network and maintain what we have but to expand our other media operations so we just got a subscription very small fee $24 a year certainly you know you could uh, probably save that if you cut back on sodas or something so yeah, I, d- I doubt if you'll see anything like that on Black Talk Radio Network, for sure, uh, where you have to go and watch the latest killing of a young, unarmed black man, woman, or child, and have to watch a Geico commercial before you get to see them brutally murdered in front of your face. 
I just, it's, yeah, it's disgusting. Anyway, I, like I said, I am very excited about this 13 coming out and Birth of a Nation. And I guess that in itself is another conversation that we'll probably get into the, throughout here. Johanna, how are you feeling at this point? I mean, because as I said earlier, it is kind of like the culmination of a lot of what we've been doing here, at, using the word Scotty does, propaganda, and getting this information out and disseminating it to the point where now it's being featured for the first time in the history of the New York Film Festival. A documentary is being premiered there on uh, the 7th, and at the same time being released worldwide via Netflix on the 7th. So uh, it really seems like a climax moment. How do you feel, man? Um, I mean, I'm I'm happy about it, man. I'm just I'm I'm I guess an eternal skeptic until they show me something different. I believe that we uh, the positive things about it. I'll start with that. The positives about it, obviously, we have affected the narrative, and not just us, but the people that we can trust that have been in the trenches with New Abolitionist Radio, with Black Talk Radio Network. Um, Far back as my earliest times of hearing these conversations on the air through uh, political prisoner radio and just following that over to New Abolitionist Radio. So the people that have been there for the last several years, and then all the people that we've met along the way that have been doing it since you know Angela Davis days and on further back than that. So yes, there's definitely people that are on the level that we can trust that have had this uh, had this uh, uh, proclamation in their mouth and this truth in their heart and a burning passion to get that out there and to make a change, that's been there. So definitely, I, I trust those people, and, and I'm thankful that this is becoming a more mainstream conversation. I'm thankful because I remember the 2012 election, and this wasn't even a part of the conversation. So to see on the eve of this year's election, the movies coming out, I'm happy about that. I only hope that she goes all the way I only hope that, like you and I discuss, other things don't get put into the media narrative to drown it out. Um, we know the prison strike is going on a month old, and there's still no mainstream coverage uh, because the people that fund media, mainstream media, are all the people that are using slave labor. So they're not going to tell people about that. They're not going to pay for advertising on networks that are going to show that info. So none of those networks are going to show it. Same thing with this movie. I just hope that the people... That are that have the money that they control the narrative, don't snuff it out if it is good. And I hope they didn't, you know, kind of nip it in the bud before she even got it made. That it doesn't go far enough. It needs to go far enough. It needs to be alarming. It needs to shake up the narrative. And that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I have trepidations as well, and my trepidation stems from the people that are involved in it. You know what I mean? Who I see on it, like. I love uh, Michelle Alexander, and I'm very appreciative of how much she's opened up uh, conversation on mass incarceration. But the problem is we're not dealing with mass incarceration, and she's never come out and called this slavery. So, you know, her being on there is good and bad at the same time. Same thing with Newt Gingrich. Like, Newt Gingrich is probably right at the center of white supremacy in this nation. You know what I mean? So they've got him on there also saying things as well. So I'm hoping that people don't get uh, pushed in the wrong direction of understanding right, right. and start, you know, we're back to Jim Crow and this right here is just a mistake done over time and we can reform it. I know this is slavery. It's a crime against humanity. It's been going on now. Well, if you count all of slavery, it's been going on for like 500 years, but this deception has been going on now for 150 years and it's reached its climax as of the last 
45 years with the introduction of private prisons when, uh, and with uh, Richard Nixon's war on drugs. So I have trepidations, but I also know that we influence this society indirectly on a, on a pretty large scale. The, 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 we're among the reasons why even this conversation is even being had, uh, you know, because there really wasn't that many people out there pushing it as hard as we are or getting it out there as far as we are. are. Um, and we, we reach multiple countries right here from New Abolitionist Radio. Um, yeah, on that influence, but first let me just read this from the New York Film Festival director where the uh, film had already uh, um, debuted. It actually is running from September the 30th through October the 16th at the New York Film Festival. Uh, the tickets had went on sale on the 11th, but this is what the director had to say after watching this film. While I was watching the 13th, oh, his name is Kent Jones. While I was watching the 13th, the distinction between documentary and fiction gave way. And I felt like I was experiencing something so rare, direct contact between the artists and right now, this very moment. In fact, Ava is actually trying to redefine the terms on which we discuss where we're at how we got here and where we're going the 13th is a great film it's also an act of true patriotism so i just want to apply those words to the abolitionists out there okay not that i need awards not that i need somebody pat me on the back to do the work that i do but i've been at this a long time others have been out there longer than me at this like max and and Johanna's been with us for quite some time. And I want to say we are the ones who have refined, redefined this conversation. You point me to another media source that has been talking about the 13th Amendment consistently and call, not calling it mass incarceration, but calling it slavery. What it is, according to the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, the the, uh, highest law of the land, they say. It it ain't the new Jim Crow. It's the same old crow. You know what I'm saying? So this is just a continuation of slavery and terrorism. And so, but I would, hey, I'm just going to apply his words to all you abolitionists out there who have been putting in work. You are true patriots. And and a listener has sent me an email. I think this is the first time I mentioned it on air. But we have talked about it on air before. But a listener, uh, it was last week, sent me an email. And they sent me a screenshot of Colorado's Amendment T. Um, yeah, I, that's what it's called, Amendment T. But it's a ballot initiative that will remove the slavery exception clause from the uh, Colorado Constitution. So I don't believe in coincidences. We've been at this for four years now. We have been putting information out to people, reaching out to people, calling people out Um. Uh, putting up petitions to the CEO of USA Inc. and asking him in Congress to remove the 13th Amendment exception whenever they had their little propaganda ceremonies celebrating the 150th anniversary of the 13th Amendment. And we were covering that and we were pointing out if the 13th Amendment, they so proud of it, then why at this ceremony do they not have a copy of it for people to read it for themselves? 
Because if they read for themselves and they good and they have good English comprehension, they'll be like, hold up, wait a minute. Except for punishment for crime, how can you abolish something and then have an exception to it? So uh, shout out to the abolitionists out there that's been putting in work. And as Johanny mentioned, we're talking Angela Davis. We're talking other people in the uh, Black Panther Party who have been talking about it for decades. Uh, we're also talking about Lee Wood, who in 1971, I believe, either 71 or 72, uh, uh, published the book Prison Slavery talking about the 13th amendment and, and everything so you know this and, and max you said something earlier about this i hope this isn't the climax max i hope that a documentary coming out ain't the climax of this movement because i'm a climax oh eight one okay okay got you got you because the climax would be when we finally abolish slavery once and for all well for me uh, that it's always been the goal to free people, to free those innocent people who are being tortured, murdered, killed, abused, and exploited of right now. That should be a priority of all of us. You know what I mean? However, we get to that to that thing. But as far as the on a propaganda level, to get this information out there at this level is a very big thing. You know what I mean? It's a watershed moment because because now you can't have an excuse like you can't find it. It's worldwide. It's available for everybody to see. It's it's and it's getting all kinds of accolades. If you're not watching it, it's because you're choosing not to watch it. So we have done our job to that point. You know what I mean? We've gotten that out there, and we're going to have to keep pushing it. I already know that it's not going to be the end all be all, but this is a huge tool for us now to be able to, to further show that we've been the ones all along making sense here. And, you know, you mentioned Angela Davis, and I've given her credit, too, just like Ava DuVernay has given her credit as well for inspiring this film. And I've given her credit for uh, making me an abolitionist when she put the call out that we needed a 21st century abolitionist movement. But at the same time, recently I'm hearing from her where she's saying that anybody that doesn't vote for Hillary Clinton or the Democratic Party are narcissists. She's basically calling us all selfish for not voting for the Clintons. It really broke my heart, man. I didn't know what to expect. I mean, the mother of the modern abolitionist movement endorsing the mother of mass incarceration. And it just blew my mind. I really want to hear more about how she came to this conclusion that it's our fault and we're narcissists if we don't vote for the same person that killed millions of our family members, incarcerated tens of millions of our men, women, and children, and decimated entire communities, and because she's the face of the Democratic Party, that we're selfish uh, not to just endorse her? I, I don't understand that. Try decimated whole countries. Right, right. And, you know, we've taken this farther than... Angela Davis took it more directly to slavery. That was been our mission. We connected the dots that this is slavery. It's not worthy of prison abolition. It's worthy of slavery abolition. You can't stand there and say to the world that slavery was never abolished and then ask for prison abolition. You're kind of skipping a part right there. Right. Well, um, I forgot... 
I forgot to give out the telephone number in case we have anybody that wants to ask a question, um, make a comment. You can call us at 641-715-3660. The participant code is 549-032-POUND. Just hit star six and one. And we'll bring you on air. We still got about six minutes before we take our break at the uh, bottom of the or halfway uh, through the first hour. Um, so, um, guys, y'all want to get started with the program and get into some of these stories? Uh, I thought we had already done that. <laughs> I thought we had already well, done well, that. Well, I, I, I meant some of the intelligence reports from the field. <laughs> well, indeed. I, I do want to uh, let people know also, uh, since we've started New Abolitionist Radio here, we've got a lot of people to start running on abolitionist platforms uh, in politics, you know, congressmen and senators and things like that. They've been on this program, even down the city council, you know, to start looking at things in more of an abolitionist perspective. And we've got another potential congressman doing that right now uh, by the name of Frank Shaw Francois. And he published the, uh, the clip of the 13th, which I'd like for our audience to hear here today. And he said, time to abolish the 13th Amendment, repeal it, or totally modify it. This will profit, put an end to private jails and prisons. As a congressman, this is another thing I will work to end. To hell with the Clintons. Vote for Jill Stein. Please do your own research and share this information. Uh, Signed, Frank Shaw Francois. So that's pretty cool to hear more people running on an abolitionist platform. I'm not too keen on other things we say these are other things like this should be the thing nothing else is bigger than this but I understand that they have constituents with issues that they have to deal with in addition to that mm-hmm. anyway like you said we're three minutes out uh, we're going to talk more about the 13th amendment uh, it's history where uh, we found out about it personally how it has affected us uh, how far back does the 13th Amendment go? Where did it first appear and, and how was it used? All that information we're going to try to provide to you tonight, along with other stories that we have to share. So uh, unless you want to say something, or Johanan, we'll take our break, first break, and when we come back, if you want to call in, press star 6 and 1 to queue up. We'll take your calls and we'll talk about this thing. I'm all good. We'll take a break. Right. All right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. So you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio again. The number to call if you have a question or a comment. Um, you know, if you're not quite convinced that slavery was never abolished in this country, then allow us to point you to the evidence to show you that it was not. And that is what we're dealing with. I would say that slavery is the main root of the problems that people are complaining about today. Uh, uh, it's not police brutality. These are slave catchers who are doing their job. And, and when has slavery ever been, you know, nice or pleasant or anything? You have to be brutal to enforce slavery. So that's what we see going on. Got to intimidate your potential victims and whatnot so that they'll come along willingly. So uh, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. We'll be back on the other side.
Black Talk Radio since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Today we're uh, concentrating on the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution in anticipation of the new film, The 13th, coming out by Ava DuVernay, released on Netflix worldwide October 7th and premiering at New York Film Festival. Uh, it is uh, the heart and the crux of the matters that we've been dealing with here for 150 years and is the root cause of uh, our issues, primarily. Many of us think so as abolitionists that we need to end this modern-day slavery. Max, we uh, got a that- call. Uh, yes. let's, let's take this call well, well, before we jump in, okay? Oh, okay, we've got a call. Welcome right. to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, please state your name, where you're calling from, and your question or comment. Yeah. Name's Ramon, calling from Colorado, 719. Um, please, brother, calling from Colorado, where we were just talking about that uh, exception clause. Yeah, we, we've been pretty popular with Scotty today. Um, that's... <laughs> Scotty, what did I hear you say about a change in, because I just started reading our Constitution. There's going to be a change in the exception clause. Most of the state constitutions simply mirror the U.S. Constitution when it talks about slavery. And so, like many other states, we've only, like North Carolina is one of the exceptions. North Carolina does not have an exception clause. It says slavery shall be abolished period it point blank there that's the end of the sentence okay but in colorado they have the exception clause where you can be put into slavery as punishment for a crime uh whereof a party has been duly convicted and we know what that means and what have you so well, I don't know about, yeah there's I don't know a ballot initiative <laughs> so, yeah. it's gonna be on the ballot in colorado uh this coming november a ballot initiative to remove the exception clause from from the Colorado Constitution. Right. Okay, that's what I was trying to catch that you were saying. Thanks. And that's what we were trying to do. Well, me and my wife just talked about that. We're trying to get everybody together locally here to sit down and do like maybe a ballot reading and interpretation to help everybody understand exactly what the hell is on these ballots and how, you know, we don't need to know your vote, but you definitely need to know what you want to be voting for so I appreciate you putting that information out there thank you and I'm using the line all right thank you thank you thanks for the call brother well I haven't we pulled up here. Wins, man we just need a couple of wins a couple of states to be able to pass legislation to change that yeah. amendment take it out that's really hey, the beginning hey guys, is what we need hey guys give me a second yeah. so I can um uh organize myself on the board I'm gonna clear the callers Q and a Q is cleared and that should have left Johanan and Max unmuted okay yeah y'all unmuted go ahead all right can you hear me yes you can hear me too all right yes Okay. okay. I was just saying, oh, I was just going to say, I got the uh, Amendment T uh, uh, information pulled up in front of me. Like you said, it's on the ballot for the November 8th election. So, hey, can you put that on New Abolitionist Radio, too, so others can see it? I could put it in the BTR community because you know my, my abol- uh, abolitionist revolutionary post. Okay, oh, yeah, that's right. Me, All right. Got me banned from the Facebook for 30 days. So, <laughs> I'll put it on the. I'll put it on the BTR community page, and then y'all can put it over to New Abolitions Radio. 
But it's saying, okay. that, you know, like what we already been discussing, uh, remove the language. It just says, you know, clearly amendment T, amendment T proposes amending the Colorado Constitution to remove language that currently allows slavery and involuntary servitude to be used as punishment for the conviction of a crime. Um, it goes on to define slavery as defined by Black's Law Dictionary is a situation in which one person has absolute power over the life, fortune, and liberty of another person. The U.S. Supreme Court has defined involuntary servitude as a condition of servitude in which one person is forced to work for another person by the use of threat of physical restraint or physical injury or by the use of threat or coercion through law or the legal process. Um, and it talks about how Colorado's Constitution, as well as the U.S. Constitution, uh, uh, allows for this. Under Article 2, Section 26 of the Colorado Constitution, slavery and involuntary servitude are prohibited except as punishment for the conviction of a crime. Amendment T will remove this ex exception. They go on to mention offender work requirements in the justice system as far as prison work requirements and community service, um, saying that, you know, when, and then defining what those are. It also talks about probation, uh, where courts will require that offenders uh, sentenced to probation maintain suitable employment and pursue employment related education or vocational training. So it's saying that the argument for this amendment is that in the Constitution allows for slavery and involuntary servitude. It says, uh, removing the language reflects mental values of freedom and equality and makes an important symbolic statement. There are 25 other states that do not have any language related to slavery and involuntary servitude in their constitution, and both prison and work community service programs are available to operate within those states. Now, I was right here with y'all when we did the state constitution series for an entire year. I'm not familiar with 25 states having no language related to slavery and voluntary servitude. From what I understood, we only found like two states yeah. that didn't have no, language. Actually, mm -hmm. actually, that does sound about right. Uh, a little bit more than half, I would say, had something in there from the research that, I, that we were doing, if I remember correctly. Some and, other states, uh, like, like... A couple like, dozen didn't have them. Yeah, some other states did, like the border states, like Missouri... And what have you, you know, the expansion expansion states back in the 1800s, they didn't have anything referring to slavery in their constitution. But you will find something related to prison, you know, prison debt. What do they call that? Debtor's prison. Saying that debtor's prisons are prohibited, but then again, you know, uh, they still do that. You know, I think the ACLU came out a report, uh, and the Southern Poverty Law Center came out with uh, reports on the use of debtor's prisons and and what have you. So the patterns and practices are there, whether or not. You know, I feel like if they don't have anything in their constitution, then they're just defaulting to the U.S. Constitution. Right. There was something that you said in in reading that there that uh, kind of struck me, and I wanted to, to go over it again, Johannes. You said you read the Black's Laws Dictionary's uh, definition of a slave, and it reminded me of something that was said by a correctional uh, officer down here in South Carolina. And uh, let me see if I can pull it up, what you just said there. Black's Laws. A person, it says, who, what is a slave? A person who is wholly subject to the will of another, one who has no freedom of action, but whose person and services are wholly under the control of another. That's Webster, one who is under the power of a master and who belongs to him. So the, the master may sell and dispose of his person, of his industry, 
and of his labor without his being able to do anything, have anything, or acquire anything but what must belong to the master. Now, that's what is a slave in black laws or dictionary. Now, this officer out in Richville, South Carolina said, you control every part of their life. And if you are doing it right, they can't do anything to you. Isn't that the description right there? Right. You control every part of their life. That's what you're doing from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed. And they don't have choices about whether they got to work or not because you know you will be punishing them with solitary confinement or bird feeding or uh, all kinds of uh, dangerous and crazy stuff if they don't go and do your daily jobs. I would and then also... some of these jobs we've been talking about, a million of them across the nation, are as, as much as like fighting fires in California for the Justice Department out there. They got juveniles doing it and prisoners. Uh, we have prisoners handling our ballot boxes during the elections. Uh, when BP oil spill went down, they had prisoners clean it up. You got Verizon using call centers, and I've heard reports that as many as 30-some-odd prisons in California have factories built inside of them. Yeah, man. Um, they they are in every industry. They are there's no industry. They have my little brother when he was ten years a slave working on a poultry farm, processing turkeys and what have you. But that Black's Law um, dictionary definition of of slavery or what a slave is, I would say that's too narrow because we know from our study of of doing abolitionist profile that enslaved persons sometimes were paid slave wages. So I don't want them to... Right, that's where you got slave wages from. Yeah, I don't want them to use that and say, oh, well, if they getting paid 12 cents an hour, then they're getting something, and they're going to take that and save it up and buy something from the canteen, so they don't fit that definition. So I'm I'm not I don't I think that's too narrow of a definition and it doesn't apply. Um, you know, it's just too general. Uh there are there are many caveats to how they practice slavery in this country. And again, you know, the term slave wages comes from the fact that some highly skilled enslaved Africans that were providing some kind of extra value to the person, the evil person enslaving them, would sometimes allow them a little small wage and they would save that up, sometimes purchase lottery tickets and and if they won, they would buy their freedom or they would save up for years and, and, and purchase their freedom from the person enslaving them. So, you know, just cause a person getting paid doesn't mean they're not a slave. Right, right. There's another definition by John Ruskin, 1819 to 1900, an abolitionist, and he simply said the distinguishing sign of slavery is to have a price and to be bought for it. Today, that price for a child like Khalif Browder, rest in peace, uh, who is one of the features in the 13th, was $353,000. $353,000 a year is the price of incarceration for a teenage boy in New York State. It's the highest in the country to put him in these private facilities. Unfortunately, they sent Khalif Browder to an adult facility uh, in New York, Rikers Island, where he was abused by guards on video, uh, potentially molested by the fellow prisoners there where he was a child at, held with no crime, no charges for three years, 
went through all this abuse and then finally released without so much as a, our bad, we made a mistake and ended up committing suicide. So 353000 in New York is what the price of a child is. Here in South Carolina, it's 161000 In New Jersey, it's 240000 for one child to be incarcerated for one single year. That's just talking about the children. Johan, and I have a question for you. Um, have you sure. ever come across a breakdown from the private prison industry on how much they make per? I know they call it per bed, but we know that's just a nice way of not calling people slaves. Yeah, the closest thing that I can remember we've we've had on uh, was like off the uh, quarterly earnings calls where they would talk about how many beds and then how many. Billion each bed translate into it, and you just have to divide it by that. So I know they talked about, you know, um, like even with this contract now, that uh, which is this is a good way to get that introduced into the program is, you know, since we were were reporting on the uh, Bureau of Pris- Bureau of Prisons saying uh, a month or so ago that they weren't going to renew any any contracts. That was Department well, of they, Justice. Yeah, they. Uh, this is a prime example. Um, the geo group was is uh, got a got a renewal of the contract to uh, take in eighteen hundred beds at this um, oh man with uh, D Ray James in uh in down in uh, Folks in Georgia. So when they give you the amount that that was for, like how much they renegotiated that for, um, and I want to say it was like three million dollars, but. However, so, I mean, that's like the numbers that we typically get. I haven't seen anything that, that they put out ordinarily that just says, like, what each bed is worth per se, but they will say, you know, earnings calls or when they get contracts, they will say, like, however many thousands of people, you know, how many beds they, they represent, how much that contract is worth. That can include, like, health care. That can include maybe some other aspects of, you know, what the contract is for that's not specifically just per bed. So I, I really don't know. Mm. Let me see if I can find something for you. Yeah, we do got a caller. I want to bring in this caller, but um, I guess we'll talk about this afterwards. But, yeah, that was the Department of Justice a few weeks ago said that they were not going to renew any contracts uh, with the private prisons. And so the Bureau of Prisons is under the DOJ. So somebody not following orders or somebody didn't get the memo. Okay, because they turned around and renewed their contract with the GO group. But uh, area code well, 9910, you're on New Abolitionist Radio. Yeah. At some point, I, I want to read some research that I did on the 13th Amendment, and I also want to end the program with a poem by Frederick Douglass that I found. So just uh, give me a heads up. Okay. <clears throat> uh, area code 910, go ahead with your question or comment. Uh, how's it going, fellas? Um, First of all, I want to make a, a comment about the show, um, especially towards you, Mr. Reed. Um, I stumbled across you guys' um, radio station by listening to the TuneIn app about four months ago. And I listen to you guys every day while I'm at work. And it, you guys are like a treasure trove of information, and I learned so much. Like, I used to listen to music while I was working every day. And since I've stumbled across listening to you guys man yeah my my playlist gets no play i just listen and learn and and it's just so informative and i i've been looking for something like this for so long 
and you know because I, I I listen to I used to listen to a lot of NPR and a lot of talk radio and I was so disgusted by the lack of um, I guess news about us on on these different platforms and ever since I've been listening to you guys and seeing like you guys have been waking me up I can't speak for everybody else but I know me and my wife we we enjoy the the topics the conversation and how you how you guys just keep it 100% real that slavery never was abolished it's just everything in the word and my my question is well I, I guess it's not really a question it's just that when I try to tell um, some of my friends and coworkers um, the information that I learned on you guys um, platform they look at me like I am telling them the absolute lie, like I'm blowing smoke in their face, and, and and it just it breaks my heart that you know it's just it just reminds me like they're in the matrix, you know why did you take the wrong pill? I'm trying to wake you up and let you know it's time to basically um, come together. Let's get these resources. Let's let's we got to become hoarders and 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 get everything that we're going to need for the future because it's about to get really, really rough, rougher than what, what we see in now. And I just want to thank you guys for um, everything, um, all the topics, all the radio shows that, that's on this platform. I just want to say thank you. And that's, that was my main reason of calling. Um, Brother Johanna, uh, Mr. Reed, uh, Max, I, keep please keep doing this. Um, I'm going to become a member of the BTR community because, like I say, I listen to you guys every day, all day. I have to charge my phone to, to get back to it. I've even listened to shows that I listened to before just so I know because I, I, I may have missed something. You know, I drive a noisy forklift all day, and um, I just – it's – it's unbelievable when I when I talk to these guys and they just look at me like I'm not telling them the truth. You know what? What I, I is there anything it, that I could tell them? Um, in terms you know, of, I wrote something earlier today and I'll read it to you. Uh, it's real short. Maybe you can tell them something like that as well. It's basically it's really understanding where you're at. Uh, according to records, Harry Tubman said, "I freed a thousand slaves." I could have freed a thousand more if I could have just convinced them that they were still slaves. They were slaves. Now think about that. Right, mm -hmm. right. I think Max must have dropped. Um, yeah, Max must have dropped. Another thing I would recommend is is just printing out the Thirteenth Amendment and and circle or put in parentheses the exception clause that says except for punishment for crime and let them read it and ask them what what do you think this says and then wait Mr. for their Reed, I got that on my phone. I I it's on my <laughs> phone with the technology that we have. And, and I'm telling you, it's just you know, I live here in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and you know, it's hey, sorry about it's, that. I, yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, I'm originally from Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, hey, uh, you know, let me, let me finish reading this to you, and so you could get your answer to the question that you asked, and then uh, we'll, we'll continue on with it. But I just want to read it to you. I want you to think about the time that she said that, and this time now. So, at the height of slavery in the 1800s, while an underground railroad was operating, and every law, every every person knew and proclaimed that slavery was the law of this land. 
this one woman risking her life to bring people out of bondage couldn't convince half the slaves she met that they were still slaves. So I have no illusions what kind of brainwashing, delusional society I'm dealing with. It took 500 years to get us where we're at right now in the way of thinking. We're not going to change that overnight. Right. You're right. Well, um, like I said, I just wanted to call and say thanks. Um, I'm Brother Vince calling from Fayetteville, and you guys have a great night. All right. Thank you, Brother Vince. Thank, thank you, Brother. Q&AQ is clear. Sound like he out there doing abolitionist work, man, you know. But but also, let me just use a quick Bible parable. And it's the parable about the seeds, you know, and that when you plant seeds, sometimes it will, you know, fall on thorny ground. Uh, Sometimes it might fall on good soil and spring up and bear fruit. So all you can do is plant the seed and maybe somebody else will come along and get them some more information and that'll represent the water and then maybe one day they'll put it all together and that'll represent you know the harvest and so yeah just keep sharing the information don't get discouraged man really don't get get discouraged I wouldn't try to beat anybody over the head with the information but plant that seed and then move on to the next soil that may be more fertile For me, one of the most important tools that I've ever been a part of is the creation of the recreation of Frederick Douglass's speech, I denounced this uh, so-called emancipation as a stupendous fraud. We did a video collection that's nine parts long during a historic period in time, and we broke down and recited his words and then showed in contemporary uh, videos exactly what he was talking about. That is a teaching tool uh, of a very high caliber that we were involved in. So if you really want people to learn more, try to get them to watch that. It's called, I Denounce This So-Called Emancipation as a Stupendous Fraud. And it's available on YouTube and at the New Word Word. Order.com, the new word order.com. Oh, yeah, and don't forget to tell them about the documentary film that's going to be on Netflix on October the 7th, I think at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. But um, it, it's a big deal um, on Netflix. And so they have a 30-day free trial. So even if they don't want to, you know, end up paying for it, I would get a free subscription just to watch that film and and invite other people over. I plan on having a watch party here at the house. Yeah, and I'm planning on doing the same thing, having a watch party at the house. As a matter of fact, I spoke to Yohanna earlier today and was saying, you and I and him should get together afterwards and have a discussion. I mean, uh, while it's still fresh in our minds and then just have a conference call and, and talk about what we just saw. Well, I actually had thought about uh, scheduling a radio program like a after party uh, for the show. I mean, for the film. Well, so, let's do that. Okay. Let's do that. Bring others in and let's, let's talk okay, about what I we just to... saw. So we'll have our community meeting right here on our community. Okay, so Friday night... Okay, yeah, we're good because Friday night is clear. Friday night's clear, yeah. That's going to be awesome. If you're listening right now and you want to be a part of that conversation after viewing with us, uh, make sure you uh, keep uh, in touch with Scotty, uh, follow his page so he can let you know when and where that will be. Yeah, it'll be published to blacktalkradionetwork.com like the other programs. Word, word. Um, Hey, let me me speak this in. Can you hear me? Yeah, let me throw this in there right yes. quick, Scotty, to your, to your question. 
uh, when the brother called in, I did remember we had talked about the uh, cost with Geo as far as the uh, detention, uh, family detentions. I don't know if y'all remember when we got that deep into it a couple of years ago. Um, I did find uh, some notes that we had from from uh, uh, the program previously, uh, $112.50 per detainee per day. This is through their ICE contracts, Immigration and Customs Enforcement contracts. Uh, the standard is $112.50 per day per detainee. Um, and then there's other contracts like uh, in Texas where they, where they got state daycare licenses for these detention centers so they could hold entire families down to the little babies. Um, so in Texas, family detention ranges from 266 to 298 per bed per day. Um, so you're looking at a range from around 100 to up to about 300 a day, just depending on if it's a single individual or a family through their ICE contracts. Um, CCA with private prison state to state varies as well, kind of in that same range, about 125 a day. So, I mean, this is this is the numbers, man. Thank you. Word. Max, you might want to get into um, get into the research you did on the 13th. Okay, yeah. Uh, this is something I published a year ago, uh, on the 14th of February, 2015, as, as a matter of fact, where I broke down what I had learned about the 13th Amendment. And uh, it starts like this, because this is just how I write as a spoken word artist. As I said before, I'm nobody from nowhere. I don't possess the credentials to tell anyone anything. I'm just a guy like you who wanted to know and found answers followed by a solution, answers I'm willing to share. With research, I could probably trace every president's involvement with tweaking the prison slavery system all the way back to Lincoln's 13th Amendment. Instead, I'd like to focus on four of them, Lincoln, all recent, uh, plus Lincoln, all recent. It helps put things into a clear perspective. It's real simple to understand, and you won't find reasoning like this in your history books. For now, all you need is eyes to see and ears to hear. From here on in, critical thinking is required. The title is How Legalized Slavery Exists in America, Part 1 of 4, Lincoln's Betrayal. Lincoln was a professed white supremacist who intentionally betrayed everyone with the 13th Amendment Exception Clause, which allowed prisoners to be slaves. As a lawyer looking for a loophole in a bad situation, facing growing unrest due to human rights violations and fearing slave rebellions, he used an example set by Alabama and Ohio, both of which had convict leasing systems in place as far back as 1840 and 1846. The earliest appearance of the exception clause is in a constitution that I have found that traces back to Vermont 1777. It is said that they were the first to abolish slavery, but that's not what they really did. Although it was a great example of how to recreate slavery, and to this day, Vermont's constitutional allowances for slavery are the most ridiculous of all 50 states, allowing enslavement for debts and a vague offense called the like. Let's read it, shall we? Constitution of the State of Vermont. Chapter 1, A Declaration of the Rights of the Inhabitants of the State of Vermont. Article 1st, All persons born free, their natural rights, slavery prohibited. That all persons are born equally free and independent and have certain natural, inherent, and unalienable rights, amongst which are the enjoying and defending life and liberty, acquiring, possessing, and protecting property, and pursuing and obtaining happiness and safety. Therefore, no person born in this country or brought over from, sea, or from overseas ought to be holden by law to serve any person as a servant, slave, or apprentice. After arriving 
to the age of 21 years unless bound by a person's own consent after arriving to such age or bound by law for the payments of debts, damages, fines, costs, or the like. See, Britain took note, and by 1779, Parliament had enacted the Penitentiary Act, which introduced state prisons for the first time. The act was drafted by prison reformer John Howard and jurist William Blackstone. It recommended imprisonment as an alternative sentence to death or transportation. The American colonies had been used as the destination for transported English criminals. England was building prisons in America to provide a colonizing workforce of European indentures, and only two were built in London paragraph partially drafted from uh, Wiki Penitentiary Act. Now, Lincoln knew all of this and worked in collaboration with Southern lawmakers to come to this deal of conversion. In his own words, he told the leaders of the South that their only differences about slavery lie in quality versus quantity, i.e., the North thought it was wrong and should be limited through state federal controlled prisons, and the South thought it was a right that should be legal to all citizens. In the end, Lincoln won and enacted the full conversion of slavery to prison slavery, from citizen-owned to state and federal-owned. Right here in South Carolina, where I live, SDOC proudly bragged, or did brag, on their website about history tracing back to the first state prison in 1866, exactly one year after the emancipation. Chain gangs were part of the prison slave labor practice, and in particularly, a massive road development project during the 1890s. Anytime more laborers were needed, business leaders would contact the local politicians or magistrates who would use police and courts in concert with existing black code laws to gather men, women, and children at their leisure. Black communities after 1865 were turned into human shopping malls. So with the ratification of the 13th Amendment, convict leasing, as it had been practiced in, the eight, in 1846, Alabama, continued on until July 1st, 1928. That is 73 years of suffering after slavery supposedly ended, all the way through segregation and Jim Crow laws. This is why we say as abolitionists that slavery did not end at any time in American history. It was only transformed. Anyone who teaches or tells you that slavery ended is lying or an uninformed parrot repeating what they accept at face value after 150 years of deception. The next stage became known as Unicorn and began on December 11, 1934 as a subsidiary to the U.S. Inc. and is today a billion-dollar-a-year industry. Their primary product is prison labor and services at cutthroat costs. I mean, who can compete with slave labor? And they have a veritable chokehold contract on all goods made for the U.S. government. They and other prison labor companies provide caged and working bodies for commercial international private corporations like Whole Foods, McDonald's, Starbucks, Verizons, and dozens of other corporations. And we'll get into that in later parts of this. There you have the research that I have put together, and it's called How Legalized Slavery Exists in America. That's part one. Oh, Max, you want to take us to the break? 
Oh, I was just letting the music take us out. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio with Matt Sparta, Scott Reed, and Johanna Nalaya. We're talking about modern-day slavery and human trafficking. We'll be right back after these messages. The Black Talk Media Project funds the use of new media technology in efforts to restore independent black voices to the myriad of issues affecting Afro-descendant people all over the planet. If media can control the minds of the masses, as Malcolm X once said, then you must ask yourself, who is in control of the media targeting the masses of black people today? Help bring back independence, self-determination, and respect for black culture in the production of global media by joining the effort to crowdfund new black media for the new millennium. Visit blacktalkmediaproject.org for more information on how you can invest in public black radio for the masses. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. We'll continue our conversation. So what did you guys think of the uh, dissemination I put together there? Oh, that was great, man. I mean, you you, you are not a award-winning spoken word artist for nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, brother. I, I tried to break it down as simple as possible. And as my history as a poet has taught me to really condense information and to just give you what you need really enough to make you understand what is going on. So I gave the facts as I knew them and what we researched going back all the way to, to 1700s. And then you know what, Vermont is going right now today. If I ever make a trip to Washington, D.C., I've only been through there once. Um, but if I ever make a trip to Washington, D.C., I'm making sure I bring a carton of eggs so that I can egg. Y'all might see me getting arrested on TV or something, man, <laughs> of me egging Abraham Lincoln. You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, the the total deception surrounding him is just mind-boggling. I mean, we've uncovered the letters that he sent before the Civil War to uh, Representative Stevenson down there in Georgia, his good buddy when he was in the Congress. And he said, he told him in a personal letter, please tell all them other crackers down there in the South, I do not intend to interfere with your property or interfere with the institution of slavery but the, but they didn't believe him and so they went on ahead and succeeded from the union and then at the conclusion of it too many white boys was dying for these Africans so they was like look we gotta end this war so look we gonna go back to what I tried to tell y'all from the beginning okay that we just gonna move it to the prisons you still get to utilize the slaves you just got to contract with the prisons and jails to get at them now so i mean the deception surrounding that man is is just mind-boggling to me considering we got all these so-called historians and academics why are they going along with this you know, why are they going along? Because they're afraid to speak truth and then lose their their uh, 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 little uh, tenured positions or something. I just don't understand how so many academics can bury, can just bury their hands in the, sa- in the sand in regards to the legacy of Abraham Lyon Lincoln. Well, I don't really understand either, Scott, but I do know this, that... Uh 
something this big, this groundbreaking, this I mean, it just changes society as we know it. It changes our understanding of who we are and what we've been dealing with for over 150 years completely. And something that big is always met with a lot of resistance first. People believe that the world was, you know, a saucer for the longest time. People believe that the earth was the center of the universe for a long time. And even those who uh, came forward with the truth about, you know, our solar system, uh, were uh, chastised and imprisoned and even killed by the Catholic Church. So when information is this big and this this just groundbreaking as it is right here, it's met with the fiercest uh, resistance. And it's hard for even the most intellectual among us to finally realize that they've been wrong for most of their life. Cognitive dissonance. People hear it. Yeah, imagine if you're a teacher, right? And you've been teaching for 30 years that slavery ended. And, you you know, you've been teaching all these students, and, and you've got your story down pat, and you show all the facts that, as you know them, and if somebody hits you with this information, how are you supposed to act? Well, if you're an honest you person, if, if you're an honest person, you're supposed to act like, you're supposed to act grateful. You're supposed to show gratitude. Right. You're supposed to be thankful and say, right. wow, I was once blind, but now I see. And then you're supposed to go out and go teach others what you what you just learned. If you're an honest person, if you have integrity, if you have self-respect, that's what you should do. But that makes me wonder about all these people that continue to be slavery deniers, both passively and actively, going out here to, to go against what we're teaching people, what we're showing people. We're not trying to indoctrinate anybody. We're just revealing, shining the light on what's already there. So, yeah, if you're honest, you'd be grateful. You know what? You just right. gave me an ideal, Johan, and we got to make slavery denial as despicable as Holocaust deniers. Cause <laughs> you, you deny the Holocaust, oh, right. people going to act exactly. like, you know, you shot somebody or something like that. So we got to make slavery denial in the same vein as being so disrespectful and, and just crazy. You, how dare you talk about slavery was abolished when it was not? Yeah, I... I I did, I've been doing that since 2014. It was one of my New Year's resolutions to be like a shark when it comes to that. I don't care if you're friend, family, ally, whoever. If you're coming out wrong with this, I'm going to say it out loud. So you know and everybody around you knows that there is another perspective and you've missed it. So particularly when I see clergy friends of mine come out and talk about all these different issues and never mention modern-day slavery. But yeah, well, this is know, good ideas. Yeah, we know what we up against. You can get them to get them to look at it like you said, like the Holocaust or like uh, abusing animals. You probably could affect people if you could get them on that level. You know, they don't want to see they don't want to see no animal take take no L. So, but they're willing to see people out here suffer and be in cages because they're being classified as being criminals. So it's like they deserve whatever kind of treatment they're getting. And we really got to get humans back to the to the place where they care about humans. And, and their welfare You know I'm not trying to get into A genocide pissing contest with anybody But the facts are clear That no matter who it is Every other uh, you know People that have gone through issues Even remotely similar Whether it be the Holocaust or Native American extinction that have been going on uh, 
None of them have been told to forget about it. None of them have been told to just move on as if nothing has occurred. None of them are continually told that this is not important to who they are. But we're told to forget about it, to act like nothing ever happened, to just accept things as they are and keep moving on. Every time we bring it up, it's thrown in our face as if we're the problem. Just like Lincoln said himself that, he, that we were a source of misery to this com- country. So, yeah, we've got to change that. We have to change a lot of perspectives, beginning with the idea that slavery ever ended at one, any point at all. And I, I'd like to think that we've accomplished that to a very large degree now. I, I would like to think that. I guess the truth is in the callers who call up and tell us that their lives have changed and that they've seen a whole new thing. And once you see this differently, everything about how you live your life tends to change. I know mine did. Yeah, but see, the people who listen to Black Talk Radio seek out this type of programming, as the caller had had stated, Vince, uh, here in North Carolina. Uh, He sought it out because he knew that he was missing something or wasn't getting something from the mainstream talk radio that he was listening to, like NPR. And which I have caught NPR and, and a bunch of lies uh, in, in some of the stuff they put out. But, but you know, we are still not reaching the millions that mainstream media uh, reaches. And so that's why I have the uh, project going on to crowdfund a mass media network, you know, where we can then go at the people, come to the people on the localized level with media and what have you. So that's what we're up against. But still, um, at the same time, like I was telling somebody else, about the listening audience of Black Talk Radio. And I was like, you know, sometimes it's not how many people are tuning in, but it's who's tuning in. And apparently the right people are tuning in or else we wouldn't be seeing this language change in some of the mainstream media. Like, you know, Sean King putting out that article about the 13th and, and um, which a, li- a, a listener emailed me about that too, said, y'all, I know y'all making an impact because here in New York, you, this is the largest media market in NYC in, I mean, in the country. So for, for uh, the New York daily news to, to publish an article calling out the 13th amendment and saying that it didn't abolish slavery then so again it's not sometimes it, it, although we want to reach as many people as possible but also I don't get discouraged because when I hear slave catchers like the former uh, commissioner of the NYPD tell a group of cadets talking about uh, they view us as slave catchers <laughs> I know well, who he been listening to I know where he's getting his information, so it's not so much the quantity, but it is who those people are that are listening. Word. In the words of abolitionist William William Wilberforce, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know. So yeah, brother, we are touching them out there. Indirectly, we're influencing quite a bit, and that's if that's all we got, let's work with it until we can get our crowdfunding going and we can really make a huge impact. Um, I'm looking forward to a meeting with Brian Stevenson so I can talk to him about something like that coming uh, November 17th. And uh, this Friday, or actually tomorrow afternoon, I'm going to be meeting with one of his representatives. 
Brian Stevenson is from the Equal Justice Initiative out of Alabama, by the way, another abolitionist organization who was just awarded a million dollars by Google. Lord, if we had a million dollars, Scotty, <laughs> oh man. Well, um, we still got 45 minutes left, two segments, and a uh, poem to read. Uh, any stories that you guys in particular want to go over that you picked through the week? A ton of stuff going on. We mentioned, we mentioned the uh, Bureau of Prisons sneaking in uh, a renewal of a contract. I mean, we don't have to go all the way into the segment, but for people that really do pay attention and, and, and listen to, you know, how we break things down, just so they'll understand. Because I met quite a bit of resistance uh, through Facebook from people that were saying, "Don't trust it. It's not really going to happen," and you know, all these kind of things. So, okay, here's our first little indicator and I'll be brief on this and like I said I don't necessarily want to you know get into breaking down this story because we got a ton of them but the distinction is in the memo from the Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates when she, when she put that memo out she said the quote is as each contract reaches the end of its term the Bureau should either decline to renew that contract or substantially reduce its scope in a manner consistent with law in the overall decline of the Bureau's inmate population so what they did um, is GEO gave put up an eight percent reduction in the number of beds that the that the government's going to pay for at that facility. So they went from uh, what was it nineteen hundred and sixty two beds originally to eighteen hundred beds in, with the extension to September thirtieth, two thousand eighteen, as the new extension of the of the of the contract. So there you go. That's I mean, it is a change, and that was a landmark memo that came out, and we saw the stock shares drop. We saw the changes and the ripple effect throughout, you know, the country itself, all the way down to the state and uh, Department of Homeland Security and ICE also considering, you know, getting rid of the private prisons and stopping this practice. So we saw that effect come, but now we see in practice how the GEO group, as they promised their shareholders that they felt like it was a market overreaction, they felt like they were confident they were still going to be able to do you know, carry on business with the government despite what that memo said. You see what they're doing is the minutia of, of following the letter of the of the law, so to speak, and just reducing their contract. It gets renewed, but it's reduced by 162 beds. So, there you go. Well, Scotty, anything from you? Um, no, no, y'all posted plenty, so the only thing I chose was an abolitionist to profile, so I'll just uh, follow you guys' lead on these stories. I would like to note that we are now entering our fourth week of the historic prison strike. It's a national prison strike organized by IWW, Incarcerated Workers Committee, and uh, it is a slavery rebellion in basic essence, and it's the largest in American history, affecting uh, more than two dozen states and 40 facilities with, as I've heard reports, as many as 25 to 40,000 prisoners, including guards, participating. At one point, uh, an entire... Uh, uh, an entire staff of guards refused to go to work in Alabama in support of the prisoners who were striking, leaving the warden himself to go around feeding people behind cages uh, in support of these prisoners because they see it. They know what it is. They're there every day. They know exactly what role they're playing. This is slavery and human trafficking. In Alabama, the prisons are at 200% occupancy. 200%. 
and they're still working making commercial goods sold on the open market under the most inhumane conditions imaginable. And now they're being uh, abused because of their uh, act of defiance, which mirrors the same acts that occurred in Attica Prison in 1971. So how is this historic... I'm I'm Go sorry, ahead. was that Johanna? Yeah. Oh, I just saying this is the fourth week now, that's all. Well yeah. I was just to that I I just had some numbers right quick I found. Um just saying it's over seven hundred thousand American inmates working every day. Um that's obviously well over uh, or nearly half the pro- the total population. They said in twenty fifteen those seven hundred thousand uh inmate workers brought in a net profit of over $472 million just to the correctional industry itself. So that doesn't even mention the numbers of how many hundreds of millions they generated for companies like McDonald's, Walmart, Victoria's Secret, and so on and so forth. Mm. Yeah. Well, one exactly, of the, man. Talking mm-hmm. about hundreds of millions of dollars in labor. L- listen, um, this historic strike has been going on across this nation and the CEO of USA Inc. ain't said a word about it. And I know he know about it because I've been tweeting at him about it, man. I've been tagging him in them tweets at POTUS on Twitter. And just ain't said nothing, man. And again, it's already been noted three weeks in, four weeks in, mainstream media, CNN, you hear Don Lemon or Anderson Cooper talking about it. Nope. No, you're not going to hear them talking about it, man. So you got to ask yourself, yeah. why would they want to keep this quiet? Why would they want to keep it quiet? And then this also goes to people who talk about the right way and the wrong way to protest. Well, these protests right. in these prisons have been nonviolent. Either they're going on hunger strikes or they're staying in the cage and not going to work. Okay, nonviolent. And you see it's not getting any coverage from the mainstream media or any um, comments from the chief executive officer of USA Inc. Now, I bet you they had took a a bunch of guards hostage and was holding, you know, shanks to their throats or what have you and saying, hey, we'll, we'll release the hostages when we can negotiate an end to prison slavery. I bet you they'll be all over it then. Or if they were burning down the plantation, they would be all over it then. And talking about, look at these right. savages and all this and that. So that's why when I, when people call in, I'm talking about, or I hear somebody like a Tim Tebow, all right, talk about a wrong way to protest. I mean, it ain't no wrong way to protest. And it ain't no wrong way to end slavery, okay? If it take bloodshed, then it take bloodshed. I got blood to give, okay? So, you know, ain't no right way or wrong way to oppose what they doing, okay? So I just want to get that out there because, you know, a lot of people, they want to be in this respectability politics, but then, you know, they then everything you do, they find something wrong with it. So shout out to the prisoners across this land who are protesting against modern-day slavery. Word. Shout out to the brothers risking their life freedom because behind prison walls, they'll do anything and can do anything to you and get away with it. Literally get away with murder as George Malincroft's book uh, shows us in the case out in Florida, How to Get Away with Murder. Well, we're 20 minutes into our, our 9 o'clock hour, and uh, we still got our two segments, and I guess about 20 minutes besides that to uh, spend. 
there is yeah. some stuff that I want to go over in addition to the to one. The first one I, I just pointed out was our prison slave labor uh, strike that is going on right now. If your media, local media isn't playing it, isn't talking about it, maybe you should send them some links. If you know any people in the media, send them some links and see what happens. Maybe the local media will participate, whereas the national media is completely ignoring this historic event. And I know why they're ignoring it, just as well as you just pointed out, Scotty. They employ prison slave labor. It would be very difficult for them to start talking about these things when their employers are doing it specifically. It's very much like the CEO of AT&T telling us about how important black lives are to him while that very company is using prison slave labor for pennies on the dollar in prisons. So that's talking about two sides of your face right there. One of the things, too, um, I wanted to mention was this news about, uh, and we hadn't had a chance to discuss it, guys, this uh, news about Ken Thompson stepping down because he supposedly got a cancer diagnosis. What? Yeah, this just came out yesterday afternoon. Uh, would have been, what, Tuesday, October the 4th, as this podcast, somebody hear it in the future. Yeah, the news came out yesterday afternoon that he uh, supposedly got a cancer diagnosis. He didn't say cancer of what or to what degree or whatever, but he's stepping down from his position and letting the, uh, the assistant deputy district attorney take over, you know, the office while he's while he's fighting cancer. So, I mean, it's just, <coughs> excuse me, I don't want to make light of the man's situation if indeed that's what's going on, but this is America. So I'm not even going to pretend like, the powers that be and the political machine and the systems and the folks, the players and all of this, don't operate in this fashion. I'm not even going to pretend like we don't have a history of people stepping down, standing down, getting cut off at the knees right when they had a point of having power and influence and making changes to the system that has been operating freely. I mean, Charles Hines was in office for 25 years, never missed a day, never skipped a beat incarcerated 100,000 people and, and hell, Ken Thompson's office found 20 that they, 25 they already got out and got 100 of just one cop, Louis Garcella's murder convictions that they investigated. So if it's just one cop with 100, it's got to be 1,000 cops over the last 30 years with 100 apiece. It could easily be investigated. If it's only 3 to 5% of 2.5 million people that are wrongfully convicted, that's well over 100,000 people. So to hear that this brother comes out and says that he's stepping down from this position, that is still, even after the Peter Liang statement where he was saying he didn't recommend that the man go to serve time, I know we talked about that on this program, I felt like he kind of basically had to kind of parlay on that one, just give, a, give that word so he could go on and within the next week get another person out of prison and then the next month another person and another person. This stepping down, man, it don't sit well with me. I hope the brother's okay, and I hope he gets well if he really is sick. But this this don't sit well with me at all. You think yeah, he might have been getting some some death threats or something? Man, it ain't, it ain't no way to tell. I know that Scott Stringer is the New York uh, uh, financial comptroller, and I know he made a statement regarding these exonerations and I know he said that there's just ain't enough money to pay these people when they're getting out and I know that these people when they've been getting released have seen a, a sliding scale from the earlier uh, exonerees around the country were getting you know in the tens of millions of dollars and it became single digit millions of dollars 
And then it's starting to get to the point where in certain states now they they breaking down the exoneration. Like here's state of Missouri, like they got a number they put on it of, you know, it's something like a cap of like forty or fifty thousand dollars a year, you know. So you're going from when it was a novelty and they didn't really they didn't really think that it was going to be exposed and the numbers of people that exonerated was still in the hundreds, it was a bigger number. But in the last years, we've seen so many more hundreds of people coming out. It's nearly 2,000 people have been exonerated, and the number is only going to grow because the Conviction Integrity Unit trend. I mean, we're affecting the narrative to the point it's a damn television show coming on now called Conviction Integrity Unit. I mean, it's like that. So I wouldn't be surprised if the man wasn't given a directive. Look, you can step down uh, or you can stay, and, you know, we can handle it the other way. So I, I don't know. I don't want to sound like a crazy conspiracy theorist, but I've seen the evil these people do. We've all seen it. We all report on it. Week in, week out, we've seen people just go through hell just for raising their hand and saying, hey, I don't think this is right, let alone go out here and get over 20 people freed, and you still got over 100 of just one detective cases to look into. Yeah, like George yeah. Malincroft when he exposed the yes. murder of, of Daryl Rainey. Yep, yep. Going through hell. Going through hell. In a prison cell. And I think George. Numbers. Hey, and I think George is now having. That I don't agree with. I'm sorry. You said it's like a hundred thousand. I don't know. Um, Well, if you look at people that's in jail or prison for nonviolent, victimless crimes. That would be the majority of the population. So I would say that they're unjustly incarcerated or enslaved and what have you. But um, I, I had a question well, I, about Malincrot. He's even having trouble started. finding jobs now, right? Yeah, he's struggling, man, yeah. all the way around, all the way around. Y'all part purchase his book. <laughs> Give out that book information, Johanan, if you will. Okay. And that's something else. His book was put on the ban list in uh in the in the prison system. Banned from prisons. You can read Martin Tom, but you can't read George Mallinckrodt's How to Get Away with Murder, the story of Darren Rainey. Yeah. Yeah. So this when is you what mentioned I'm saying, I, mean, around I was thinking of Andy Dukin though, man. I was thinking, you know, Annie Dukin is responsible for forty thousand at least by herself. So right. hundred thousand right. can be possible. Right, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, just that's just a just a, a, an accepted field number, like just like the same way that the uh, the FBI's numbers on crime are accepted by Fox News, and they can come out and say that there's so many hundreds of blacks killed by cops, but then there's so many thousands killed by you know black on crime, and then try to snuff out that conversation. But we know that the federal guidelines have been telling local jurisdictions all over the country to report for nearly a decade and it's less than 25% that actually reports their numbers so this is the kind of thing I'm saying when you say 3-5% to 5% is an accepted number by, by the community by, by the authorities 3-5% to 5% of those that are probably or could be uh, wrongfully convicted out of 2.5 million we know there's, there's way more than that and then like you said when you throw in non-violent victimless crimes when you talk about drug prohibition and you know in America, alcohol prohibition damn near destroyed the country. And you want to look at drug prohibition now in the age of big pharma, where people are becoming drug addicts after taking doctors' prescriptions. But 
I mean, these, this, the numbers are ridiculous, man. I mean, we've had people that have gotten out of prison that have told us. I think I remember somebody was telling us they estimate it might be 15% of the people that are in prison might be there for good reason, so to speak, for violent crimes against other people or, you know, major crimes against property and this type of thing. All the rest of the some some variation of uh, nonviolent drug-related crimes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's the majority are in there for nonviolent drug-related crimes. Uh, there was a recent uh, study that came out from uh, Prison Policy Initiative called the Whole Pie 2016, which shows you exactly why people are in prison. What? Uh, how many are there? And the the full numbers. Uh, I'll put it on New Abolitionist Radio and also at uh, it's at our spot on Black Talk Radio Network, so you can view it. There is some good news just coming out. I wanted to share another victory for the abolitionists and show again that we are affecting the narrative in the halls of politics. But first, let's take this break, and when we come back, I'm going to tell you the story about the prosecutors who withhold or tamper with evidence now face felony charges. That is well, Max, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, before we and go, we'll be right back after. Before we go to oh, the okay. break, go ahead, Scott. Yeah, before we go to the break, you had uh, mentioned the uh, Mr. Stevenson, the CEO of AT&T, and the comments he made. And that was actually the focus of my Black Talk uh, Radio Weekly commentary for Tanya Free and Friends, which comes on at 2 o'clock on this network on Wednesdays. So I want to play that because I want people to hear what he said, okay? So this is... uh, um, um, uh, what's his name again? Um, Randall Stevenson. Yeah, Randall Stevenson is his name. And if I can just locate the commentary, I'm just about there. Let me see. AT&T. Okay, yeah. It's a title. I titled it AT&T and Modern Slavery. And then we'll, uh, right after this, go into the break. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. If you have a question or comment for us, please don't wait as we're entering into the last half hour of the program. The telephone number to dial is 641-715-3660. The participant code is 549-032-POUND. Hit star six and one to comment on air. We'll be right back. Last week, AT&T CEO Randall Stevenson had some comments about the State of the Union for his employees. Sadly, racial tension is ripping apart the very fabric of our community right now. And it's, uh, it's troubling to watch what's happening today in Charlotte, what's happened in Ferguson, Missouri, the killing of black men in Falcon Heights, Minnesota, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the murder of five police officers in Dallas. Murder of police officers in Baton Rouge, the mass killings in Orlando. I could go on, but folks, you get the idea. We got a problem. Now, there are some that are here tonight that the mentality and the thought process would be the police need to crack down and get control of these communities. There are also some. You're expressing some legitimate pit of anger over injustice and violence and say we have to deal with that first. And there's going to be several people in between those two ends. The question I have to ask is where are you on this? 
Mr. Stevenson is asking, where do you stand on the issues plaguing the nation? But he has yet to respond to a change.org petition pointing out that AT&T has been using prison slave labor since 1993. When in a move against unionized labor, the company started using prisoners making less than $2 an hour to do call center work. On October the 7th, the documentary film The 13th will premiere on Netflix, and it is said to expose modern slavery in prisons by way of the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. The root cause of these problems in policing in the courts is slavery. Mr. Stevenson should watch the 13th and see how AT&T is part of the problems he laid out in his speech. This has been Scotty Reed with your Black Talk Radio Weekly Commentary. Visit me on btrcommunity.com for a new online black social media experience. The Black Talk Radio Network is made possible in part with help from the Black Talk Media Project, a North Carolina-based nonprofit engaged in the production and distribution of independent digital black media. Find out more by going to blacktalkradionetwork.com or blacktalkmediaproject.org and look for the menu tab, Crowdfunding Black Media. Black Talk Media Project, helping to provide you with new black media for the new millennium. to Black Talk Radio, new black media for the new millennium. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Thank you, Scotty, for sharing that uh, with us indeed. So people can hear with his own words how he's saying one thing and doing another. This is the CEO of AT&T, a company that uses prison slave labor, pennies on the dollar, paying people to do what others can do on the outside where so many are unemployed. Yeah, Black man. Lives really yeah. matter. They yeah. also matter behind the bars. Yeah, and I will and I bet you that AT and T probably has a poor hiring record for felons. So so what I'm saying is, oh, you can work for AT and T if you behind bars, but if you out on the streets um, you may or may not be able to get a job. Yeah, I'm willing to just put that out there and just have it a thing where if, if he can prove otherwise or if AT want to prove otherwise, they can try to try to rebut and uh and, and shut me up. I've been saying it for a couple of years. AT and T hires more black men in prison to work in their call centers and to take on those jobs at slave wages, slave labor for slave wages than they do with the outside world. So until they can show some kind of proof, maybe well, I don't have the right numbers, maybe I don't see all the information, but from what I've been able to find out, that's the truth. They hiring more people of color, more Black Lives Matters, if he want to bring up his meeting and take on that credit and convince a bunch of Negroes to run out and switch over their, their contracts and switch over their business to AT&T because, oh, he mentioned us. He must love us. And this is what they're doing. You can't go get a job with them, but you can go switch your, your service over to them because of something he said, and you got a sound bite. You should know the truth, that he's hiring more people out of your community behind bars than he would let come in and do an interview or give them an honest chance to get a job. Sometimes the truth hurts, don't it? Well, <clears throat> I wanted to share this final story before we finish up with our, our last segments, and it's another victory, as I said before, 
you know, every week we do our 21st century ride around the Underground Railroad, showing another exonerated individual who was falsely incarcerated, and more often than not, it always seems to involve prosecutorial misconduct. And they do everything you can imagine to keep these brothers and sisters in these prisons uh, when they have never done anything at all. Well, that's about to change, apparently. The Los Angeles Times published this article titled Prosecutors Who Withhold or Tampered with Evidence Now Face Felony Charges. And it's by Christopher Gofford, a contact reporter. It says, amid an ongoing controversy in the Orange County Courthouse involving accusations of prosecutorial misconduct, a new law will ratchet up penalties for California prosecutors who tamper with evidence or hide exculpatory material from the defense. Under the law, which was introduced by Assemblywoman Patty Lopez, Democrat from uh, San Fernando, and signed by Governor Jerry Brown on Friday, a prosecutor can receive up to three years in prison for altering or intentionally withholding evidence that defendants might use to exonerate themselves. Previously, those acts were considered misdemeanors. Wow, that just hurts saying it, that previously it was considered a misdemeanor to hide evidence that would free people who were innocent. It Question. There's so many, say again, Scotty? Question, who's going to prosecute the prosecutor? Because I certainly have not heard of Kamala Harris, the California Attorney General, bringing charges, misdemeanor or otherwise, against any prosecutor for wrongdoing. In the history of the United States, only one prosecutor has ever faced charges for prosecutorial misconduct. So hopefully this new law that has just come into play will change that. I guess we're going to see it's because they're doing it. So it's only a matter of application now. She says, I hear so many stories about innocent people across California and across the country who have been wrongfully convicted, Lopez said. I just hope that when people think the rules don't apply to them, they will think twice before they abuse their power. Lopez said the legislation was not specifically inspired by events in Orange County. However, the controversy surrounding the office of longtime district attorney Tony Rakakos spurred the bill's advocates and informed the debate on the, uh, on the Senate floor. In March 2015, Orange County Superior Court Judge Thomas Gotos removed Rakakos' office from one of the most high-profile cases, the prosecution of mass murderer Scott DeCry. The judge said prosecutors repeatedly had violated DeCry's rights by failing to turn over evidence, though he did not find they had engaged in willful misconduct. The California Attorney General's office, which has inherited the case, is appealing Gosto's ruling. DeCry's attorney, Assistant Public Defender Scott Sanders, has argued that Orange County jailers have flouted inmates' rights for years within an illegal jailhouse informant program and that prosecutors consistently have tried to conceal it. The scandal, which drew national, nationwide attention, has resulted in the collapse of cases against numerous criminal defendants. So you can read the rest of that story either at New Abolitionist Radio or at community.blacktalkradionetwork.com. I consider that a victory, man. There's a law in place now to prosecute prosecutors. And as you said, who's going to prosecute the prosecutors? I guess that is yet to be determined. Yeah, it's definitely a good development in terms of the law. But like I was talking about earlier today, um, 
Um, like, for example, you got the slave catchers in Florida who are going in stri- on strike in Broward County. Uh, that's where the Miami Dolphins play and saying, oh, until they stop this madness and, and start paying respect to the slavers anthem, we're not going to provide them an escort. And we're going to let the angry mob of racist suspects get to them and whatnot. Well, in the Constitution of Florida, it says public servants can't go on strike. But they're saying they're going on strike and nobody's doing anything about it. So why it all it I always want to see these sort of things be turned into law to where we can hold people accountable. That's only half the battle, you know, because then it it, it, it comes to the question of, well, who's going to be the one that prosecute them? You know, just like you got the Department of Justice bringing RICO charges against young uh, uh, black men in New York City, charging them with RICO charges, man, and what have you. But I've yet to see them make a case against any of these slave catcher departments who are working with city officials to to raise revenue by just targeting people and giving them unneeded tickets. And then when they can't pay, shuffling them around in the jails. It's a business, man. It's a system. It's a system. That's why I try to tell people and encourage people. We don't have time to be beefing with individuals. I'm not saying what I'm saying about this system or going off on on white supremacy like I just got a problem with white people. I don't really care too much about no individuals I meet from day to day. The systems are what we're here to impact. If you can affect these systems, it's going to get so many people out of the way. I mean, again, you referred to Scripture earlier uh that's for the for the believers when you could save just one person you cover a multitude of sins if you could just get just one person that's pushed out of the way of the system that's set up that they don't teach our children about that they don't teach about in school that they don't talk about in church that they don't warn you about every day you see the viral videos of killings and you see all this mess going on all the time all these debates but nobody talks about the system that's in place that creates this environment Ease off of this chaos. If you could just stop the system from devouring just one person, think about the benefit to your own personal life. Words. It's just a bunch of hypocrites, man. A bunch of hypocrites saying one thing and doing another. What did James Baldwin say? I can't believe what you do because I, I can't believe what you say because I see what you do. We see what you do. We can say all day long. And uh, it's just hypocrites who are just avoiding any culpability and, and trying to put themselves on the, uh, I guess, on the history books on the side of the right when they have been on the side of wrong all along and are on the side of wrong while they're talking about being on the side of right. That was one of the biggest issues for Frederick Douglass uh, as he was coming up. And at the poem that I was going to share today says a lot about that. He really had issues with the church uh, in particular during the 1800s and the roles they played, just like I have an issue with the church today and the same thing that they're doing. Up there, yap, yap, yapping about everything but the right thing and not backing the abolitionist movement as a whole. I mean, I just met a brother out in Missouri who was, uh, he, he broke bread with us. He was a bishop of a church representing 30 different states, and they were all coming together on the, uh, the 13th and 14th. He's like, yeah, Max, I'm with you 100%. I want you to come out here and speak to our congregation because they need to hear this. And uh, I'm going to call you as soon as you get back. 
uh, to South Carolina. We're going to make this happen. You know, I ain't received a phone call yet. No, nothing. <laughs> Just yap, yap, yapping, but really ain't about nothing. And I told you, the, I, town hall, the town hall meeting that we did here, uh, the pastor did call for that. I thought we had a breakthrough with that. Here's a man of faith that wants to know how to help the community. We have a good town hall meeting. He had me on the panel with two law enforcement officers and a fire. And we discussed community relations between the black population of the city and law enforcement. We talked about numbers. We talked about all, these, all this information. Gave people good information on what they could do from a political standpoint to help themselves. This same pastor, his God, uh, God brother, is uh, the brother uh, Crusher in down in Tulsa that got shot. Everybody saw the video of it. That's his family. So he again puts out the call to arms, talks about you know how we we got to make these changes. Reach out to him again and tell him, hey, we could get the town hall thing going again. We can keep coming and, and help get this information to people, help show them how to do this. Is the election season, let's get the people educated. Same thing. And I've already been in front of this man at a town hall meeting. I ain't heard nothing in the, in, the, in the weeks, in months since. So, I mean, I don't know what it takes for people. I don't, I don't know. You would think your own brother getting shot down and relating that directly back to the information we already discussed would be enough to move me. But I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either, man. Uh, it's got, we got like 15 minutes left, a little bit less than that. How do you want to uh, roll with this? You want me to do the poem first and then do the final two segments? Do the final two segments and then close with the poem. Close with the poem. All right. So then we'll go on to our, our next segment, one of our final two here, which will be our 21st century rider of the Underground Railroad. And uh, this is our most recent here. It's by the name of Jerome Morgan. On January 17, 2014, Jerome Morgan's murder conviction was overturned. Two weeks later, he walked out of prison after spending 20 years incarcerated for a crime he did not commit. However, he remained accused of that crime and lived in a state of pretrial limbo with restrictions on his freedom until May 27, 2016, when the state finally dismissed the charges and he was fully exonerated. In 1993, Jerome was wrongly arrested at age 17 and prosecuted for the murder of Clarence Landry III at a Sweet 16 party. I think we might have did this one before already, but nonetheless, let's go with it again. A fight broke out between two groups of boys at the party. Shots were fired, and three teens were hit to survive. The 16-year-old Clarence Landry died on the scene. By all accounts, the gunman filed the ballroom, fled the ballroom immediately after the shooting, and was chased down the street to an alley where he jumped over a fence. When the police arrived, they sealed the room, and the detective took down the names of everyone in the room, including Jerome, whose name was listed by the detectives in the report. Jerome was prosecuted based on the identification testimony of two teenage witnesses, one of whom had previously told police it was definitely not Jerome. Post-conviction investigation by Innocence Project New Orleans revealed that the prosecutors had in their file a complaint history that proved that it took police a mere six minutes to arrive after the shooting, not 30 to 45 minutes as the jury heard. This made the already questionable theory that a gunman, after successfully fleeing from the crime scene, returned to a room of over 80 witnesses. Even less likely, there simply was not enough time for the gunman to flee run down the street to an alley, jump over a fence, hide the murder weapon, and return to the scene of the crime unnoticed before the police arrived and sealed the room. The teenage witnesses also admitted in 2013 that the detectives had told them to name Jerome Morgan, one of several people who, about whom rumors were circulated among high school students in the months after the shooting. Based on both the discovery and the complaint's history and the recantation of the two teenage witnesses, Jerome was freed on bond February 1st, 4th. 
2014 and granted a new trial. For two years after his conviction was overturned, IPNL fought to clear Jerome's name while the district first fought the ruling overturning his conviction and when unsuccessful fought to re-prosecute Jerome in spite of the clear evidence Max must got a bad connection tonight. Uh, looks like we lost uh, Max, and I'm sure he will. Hopefully, he noticed, man. Um, so, uh, Johanna, you still there, bro? Yeah, I'm. I'm still here with you. He might. Uh, he might still be reading. He might. Might not even know he got cut off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that technology, man. I think he in the woods, man. But I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, you know, they got the the um, they. I think Max was saying they might be evacuated or might or might be nearby getting evacuated because the hurricane is. Oh, he's back. He's back. Here Carol. he is. Okay, Max, we got you I'm, back, man. I'm back. Yeah, it's, it's a hurricane coming this way, so for me to lose yeah. is unusual, I would think. But uh, I, we have done this this uh, 21st century rider before. Apologies, sometimes I get uh, in too much of a rush. Nonetheless, there is this story and. Once again, welcome to Freedom, Brother Jerome. Welcome to Freedom. Salute. All right. Salute. Uh, our next segment, as we do every week, is uh, remembering our ancestors and studying them. So we know uh, how to avoid the mistakes they made and how to exploit the successes that they had and to give them remembrance. Uh, as a matter of fact, this is one of the programs, that pro- one of the only programs in the country that probably remembers those who fought, bled, and died to give the freedoms that we do have today. So this is our abolitionist in profile provided by Scotty Reed. Okay, today, before I start, and and today's reading will be live. I did not have an opportunity to pre-record it, so I'm going to do it live tonight. But um, I just want to say this, because I don't have time to do everything. I try to do as much as, as humanely possible, but... Um, if you are a member of, let's say, uh, what, is, what is that, Wikipedia. Now, I know a lot of people don't have a high opinion of Wikipedia, but it is a good source of information because you are supposed to have the links to your sources, and then those links go to the outside. So it's supposed to have the documentation that what they're putting is has been sourced. Now, but that's not the issue that I have with it. My issue is the language. And so sometimes when I get this information, I have to rewrite it because I don't I, I other than using the term prison slaves and, and what have you, if I'm using it in a strategic manner. Otherwise, I don't refer to people as slaves. They are victims of slavery. They were enslaved persons. And I noticed in Paul Jenny's entry in Wikipedia, they kept calling him a slave and what have you. So I would like to say to those people who join these type of communities, I even have a Wikipedia membership, but you have to log in and start changing the language. Now I have done that in the past with Wikipedia and then they would change it back. You know what I'm saying? So it's just always a constant battle, man, to change the narrative. But I just refuse to refer to victims as slaves, you know, that's just dehumanizing. dehumanizing. You know, Mr. Paul Jennings, who we're going to focus on as our abolitionist in profile, he was not a slave. He was a victim of slavery. So our abolitionist in profile will be uh, Mr. Paul Jennings. Let me cue up my music. 
Paul Jennings was born into slavery at Montplier in 1799. His mother, who was African Native American, was held in slavery by the family of President James Madison. During the War of 1812, let me uh, turn this music down just a little bit. Y'all excuse me. Let me start over. Matter of fact. Paul Jennings was born into slavery at Mount Pelaire in 1799. His mother, who was African Native American, was held in slavery by the family of President James Madison. During the War of 1812 between the Americans and British, Jennings did not make an attempt for his freedom by joining the British Army, which was offering freedom to persons enslaved by Americans. During the war, the White House was set on fire by those fighting with the British. But again, instead of making a break for freedom, Jennings instead risked his life to save a portrait known as the Lansdowne Portrait, which is a painting of America's first slaver in chief, George Rottenmouth Washington. Perhaps the 15-year-old Jennings thought the slaver president, James Madison, would free him for saving the portrait. But he was wrong, and he will be sold several more times before finally being sold to Senator Daniel Webster, who freed him. Jennings, after obtaining freedom, became part of the large free black community of Washington, D.C., which outnumbered enslaved persons by three to one at the time. In 1848, Jennings helped plan a mass escape of 77 slaves from Washington, D.C. on the schooner Pearl. It was the largest of slavery escape attempt in U.S. history. In an effort funded by white abolitionists William Chaplin and Garrett Smith, the free black community of Washington enlarged the escape attempt, gathering victims of slavery willing to risk the 225-mile sailing journey to freedom in the north. The victims of slavery were captured and returned to Washington, D.C. after having been delayed by poor winds. Their enslavers quickly sold them to traders and most were sold again in the Deep South. Jennings would later return to Virginia in the 1850s as a free man and was able to reunite with family he had been forced to leave years before. His three enslaved sons would escape and join the Union Army during the American Civil War in 1865. Jennings would publish what is considered the first White House memoir, which was about his time as a captive victim of President James Madison. Jennings would buy a lot of land and build a home in Washington, D.C., where he again reunited with his children. His son, John, lived with him. His daughter, Mary, lived next door with her two children. His sons, Franklin and William, also lived in the area. Paul Jennings died at the age of 75 in 1874, leaving his family the house and property. New Abolitionist Radio salutes Paul Jennings and his sons. Salute. Salute. Yeah, you might have been right. He might have been looking for the meritorious manumission. He thought he was going to turn it. He was going to turn them in. And he was going to get free. They showed him, though, but he still made it. 
Yeah, he he made it, but well, yeah, I was like he was only 15 years old at the time. So, but he saved while the White House was burning. They should have let it burn to the ground. But he saved the picture of old rotten mouth Washington, and and I guess he thought he's gonna get free. Oh, he saved the national treasure. Oh, we must reward him with freedom. No such thing. Well, we're much like right. Is there anything you guys want to end with before I go into this poem? Peace to the abolitionists. Yes to these oppressors. Um, and I would just like to say uh, thank you. Just like the listener called in and thanked us for the programming on Black Talk Radio Network and for the information we put out through the various programs like New Abolitionist Radio, I have to say, you know, we do our part. Um, using our skills and our talents, but we could not do this without the help of those who who help fund the Black Talk Media Project. So th- this is a family affair. So thank you to everybody out there. And and like Johannes says, peace to the abolitionists, death to the oppressors. Word. I would like to say that if you have never listened to the audiobook or read The Life of an American Slave by Frederick Douglass, then you should. Consider it uh, mandatory reading for abolitionists. This is something I found in the appendix called A Parody by Frederick Douglass. Come saints and sinners, hear me tell how pious priests whip Jack and Nell and women buy and children sell and preach all sinners down to hell and sing of heavenly union. They'll bleed and buy and don't all like goats, scourge down black sheep in strained moats, array their backs in fine black coats, then seize their negroes by the throats and choke the heavenly union. They'll church you if you sip a dram, and damn you if you steal a lamb, yet rob old Tony, doll and Sam of human rights and bread and ham, kidnappers heavenly union. They'll Loudly talk of Christ's reward and bind his image with a cord and scold and swing the lash aboard and sell their brother in the Lord to handcuff heavenly union. They'll read and sing a sacred song and make a prayer both loud and long and teach the right and do the wrong, hailing the brother sister throng with words of heavenly union. We wonder how such saints can sing of praise the Lord upon the wing who roar and scold and whip and sting and to their slaves and mammon cling in guilty conscious union. They'll raise tobacco, corn and rye, and drive and thieve and cheat and lie and lay up treasures in the sky by making switch and cowskin fly in hopes of heavenly union. They'll crack old Tony on the skull and preach and roar like bash and bull, a brain ass of mischief full, then seize old Jacob by the wall and pull for heavenly union, a roaring, ranting, sleep man thief who lived on mutton, deal, and beef, yet never would afford relief to needy, sable sons of grief, was big with heavenly union. Love not the world, the preacher said, and winked his eye and shook his head. He seized on Tom and Dick and Ned, cut short their meat and clothes and bread, yet still loved heavenly union. Another preacher, whining, spoke of one whose hearts for sinners broke. He tied old Nanny to an oak and drew the blood at every stroke and prayed for heavenly union. Two others opened their iron jaws and waved their children's stealing paws. There sat their children in gewgaws. By stinting Negroes' backs and maws, they kept up heavenly union. All good, 
from Jack, another takes and entertains their flirts and rakes who dress as sleek as glossy snakes and cram their mouths with sweetened cakes. And this goes down for union. Remember, abolition is a reason for a revolution. So we can finally know some peace. Peace. Just lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up, when death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up, when famine claims millions, when justice gives blind.